0: Welcome to Naming Naming
1: It, where we discuss pop culture, current events, and how they relate to the way that we live our lives, all through the lens of two Black psychologists.
0: Naming It is dedicated to acknowledging the elephant in the room, validating the lived experience of people of color. Coming to you from the Bay Area, California, we thank you for joining us.
1: I'm Dr. Bethford Palmer.
0: And I'm Dr. Lamisha Hill. Music on Naming It is provided by Lee England Jr., The Soul Violinist. Good morning, evening, afternoon. Yeah. Welcome to Naming It.
1: Welcome to Naming It, y'all. It's
0: episode number 59.
1: Episode 59. We're almost 60.
0: We're almost there.
1: I mean, get, we get our Social Security next time.
0: <laughs> I don't think so. No, not 60? I think it's like 64.
1: Well, for black folks, 63. it should be it should be earlier because we got a lower life expectancy. So <sighs> I'm just saying, like, it's a scam, y'all. Like, paying in Social Security, then we die before we can get it. That's bull.
0: Yeah, I'm true. a little speechless because I'm like, yeah. part of me wants to be like, what are the, the, the life expectancies and what is the accuracy it's, around the Social Security claiming dates?
1: It's lower than white folk. That's
0: okay. We yeah. Well, mm-hmm. welcome to naming it, y'all.
1: Welcome to naming well,
0: it. Well, way, to, way to get us off on a good foot.
1: Hey, you know, reality, <laughs> deal with reality, y'all. Uh. uh so. All right, jumping straight in. Do you
0: have the, any? Do you have any shout-ins?
1: Uh, sure. I want to shout out the uh, graduate students and the undergraduate students who are in my lab, uh, the Coben Research Lab. We talk about social justice and multicultural competence and research and whatnot. Um, we had a pretty cool milestone. We got an IRB through. We're gonna Yay. we're putting, uh, We've we got some studies that are active right now. So if uh, if anybody's interested, if you want to take, uh, if you want to uh, be part of our study, you know, you can always just uh, go to the Instagram page for naming it, uh, naming it podcast. And uh, then if you go and find, uh, actually, you go to my Instagram. So go drbfpalmer because it's not actually on naming it. And then uh, look for a Coben Lab 8. Koben Lab, lab, um, and just uh, follow the links and you'll you'll be able to join our little research study.
0: Cool. Yeah. Is it about topic or subject matter? Well, it's,
1: it's a, you know you can't really get too deep into that, otherwise it'll mess with the study. It's about social issues. Okay. So if you have if you're interested in things. Thin,
0: you All know, right.
1: if you if you haven't been in a lab study, you know what I'm saying like you could be part of the study, and it's just an online it's an online thing. Can can we can we put it on the naming it? Sure. Is it okay to put on the naming. Yeah, it? Oh, okay. Look we that.
0: got lots of listeners. All right, well I'll, I'll send it out to our the listener meeting. base is is very deep.
1: It's just not that deep. I mean, like like I appreciate our listeners, but I don't want to pretend like we have like a we 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 have a we have a wonderful loyal audience. We are we are still pretty niche. Um, which is fine.
0: I think it's growing.
1: (laughs) Do you just feel that way? Yeah. (laughs) Of metrics.
0: Anyway, I'm (laughs) over here trying to be positive, y'all.
1: It's not negative. I I just don't think we need to pretend like we're, I mean, I wish we, if we had like 50,000 listeners every, like, for every episode, that'd be awesome. That ain't happening, though.
0: But we're still doing good. Who said we weren't? That's what I'm saying. And you're like, put it in a perspective.
1: No, but you just—I mean, you threw it mean, out there. I, guess I don't know. they and all, but you know, we, ain't, know. we aint got it like that. That's—I don't know. You know, it's just like it's. I'm—I'm I'm sorry. It's like, look, I'm—I'm five—I'm five nine, five ten, somewhere in between there. When I put on when I when I put on dress shoes and they they got that little bit of extra on there, I don't start to suddenly be like I'm five eleven. I'm not. <laughs> just. I'm just just average height. I'm not tall.
0: Okay. I'm just saying. Perspectives. Comfortable with who we are. Perspectives. I don't have any shout outs, shout ins, but as I say, perspectives, I really actually want to give uh, a shout in and a big thank you to jazz musician Kamasi Washington. Uh, He has one of his many albums, but the Harmony of Difference goes through all these different sort of um, kind of thoughtful existential pieces around integrity, knowledge, perspective. So as you said that, I'm like, ah, okay. Let's just kind of anchor back into my Kamasi Washington and think about yes, we have different perspectives, okay. but we still get to truth. Okay. If y'all haven't listened to him, if you didn't know about him, check him out.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I... I haven't heard. I will. I will look for him on my Spotify. Cool. Yeah.
0: Good step. Harmony of difference.
1: Harmony of difference. Yes. Free advertisement.
0: <laughs> hey, it's okay.
1: Oh, I ain't mad at you. Speaking of which, I do have a, another quick shout in. Uh-huh. Uh um, So I've been. Um, there's this uh, new podcast that Levar Burton told me about. Right. Like,
0: like, he directly told you about. Like he called you up and said, "Hey, Bedford, I want you to check out this." Well, he, he did say it was on the. He, he was on my <laughs> phone when he said it. You know what I'm saying? Like, y'all, you yo, that to slip by. Yo, okay, no, no, because we were just like, <laughs> you just said you were not five eleven, <laughs> but now you're like, yeah, oh, La- yeah, my boy, saying? Levar just yeah, gave me a I didn't call. say my boy. Okay. He my, I mean, that's
1: a gr- that's that that's that's Lavar Burton, but he did tell me. I mean. <sighs> He was on his podcast, and he, like, said it as part of an advertisement, but I was listening to him. Okay. And he makes you feel like you're the only person in the room. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh-huh. yeah, I felt like he was telling me about it. uh uh-huh.
0: So what did LeVar tell you?
1: He, he said, you he got to say the whole name, LeVar Burton. I don't know him that well. You know what I'm saying? It's LeVar Burton. Okay. Close the LeVar. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's too casual.
0: Do we need to remind people what LeVar Burton's background why would you need to if i need to
1: remind you then i don't even want to talk to
0: you oh my goodness namers like some of our neighbors some of our neighbors may not know
1: absolutely not reading rainbow star trek roots no that so you have to
0: say it i'm sorry i was a child that didn't really grow up with tv i don't know what reading rainbow is
1: wait up See, now we're going way back, like as you say, into the stacks or into the books because you crates. in the crates, in whatever, the crates, See, that's, that's no, how old I, that's no, how old no, I am. No, I'm in the crates, whatever. No, because you, you started this stuff in the <laughs> first season about you and no TV and I all know. that stuff. You're you told, but you told on yourself because you said your parents tried to buy you a TV and you wouldn't have. So, you telling me that as a child, you didn't have TV, but as an adult, your parents trying to buy you a TV.
0: I'm sure we had a TV when I was a child. Heather, I did not watch Reading Rainbow, nor did I watch Sesame how'd Street. You, how'd you not watch those? Well, <laughs> that's the only thing you're supposed to watch. I didn't watch it, nor did I really watch cartoons. And I thought they that's were not violent. the same.
1: You can't say cartoons and Reading Rainbow and Sesame Street and like and conflate those things. Your I, wife. I was probably How, do you, how, how are you
0: a functional things. adult, my friend? I was friend? probably doing things Whatever. You know, outside. Whatever. No, you weren't. They tell me that. something. What do you at build? School. What do you build? Me and my dad built a lot of stuff when I was a kid. Okay, what? We made this a very elaborate desk, and uh-huh. he got a cord and he attached a light to it. Wait, so, that's your
1: dad building? The yeah, but we did
0: it together and then we painted it together. You know, I remember this. We have for us probably okay. still in the basement. I,
1: I'll, I'll give you your. T- I mean, I, you have your memories. I'm just, I just, I'm just very much surprised that you don't. <laughs> I just feel like you acting like you don't know it.
0: I don't know because okay. I have no 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 I, emotional I, childhood connection no... to any wow. of like what's big Big Bird like no. See,
1: but you know all the things. No, I don't. You know, I don't. Big Bird. You know do Mrs. to up against, don't no.
0: you? No. What is that? Whatever whatever I'm, what, I'm, what character I did feel it look like, like? I, I'm see sorry. no you can't not know Big like Bird I'm, and Elmo because over the years they have I, been popular figures you, in
1: all of popular I hear you I, hear you. I just feel things. like I'm being here trying to pull one over on me no um,
0: I don't know what the reading rainbow is you don't know okay. what wait, you
1: do know what Reading Rainbow is. No. You, you actually don't know what it is? No. So Reading Rainbow, like the the whole. I like, know it was
0: a program. It was a,
1: a PBS program where LeVar Burton introduced young kids to books and the reading and the value of reading. Like.
0: Yeah, I have my mom my dad. I didn't necessarily...
1: See, stuff like that right there. Though That's what I'm talking about. What? I have my mom. I mean, it's like you're... We
0: were together, like... So, so Lamar kind of, didn't introduce me to reading. They did. Yeah, but, like, when you say I it tried. like that,
1: you, you, you make it like there's this, like, this hierarchy, like, oh, no, I have my parents. They were there. And you were stuck in front of a television. That's what oh, that sounds like. Sorry, I
0: didn't mean it that way. I mean... A little bit of unconscious bias microaggression happening.
1: Well, I mean, it's just, I, I don't know what that is because I <laughs> have my parents too. I think every, other people have their parents, but we still watch PBS. I watch PBS with my pops. I mean, I don't know what to tell you.
0: So, uh, we didn't watch PBS. Okay. So, L- with LeVar Burton shared on his podcast.
1: Yeah, because that's what I was trying to talk about. <sighs> so. He was talking, he showed, there's a new podcast out that is called Running Away from Cops. And it is a, it basically is a documentary on the TV show Cops. And I thought, why would you tell me about this? I don't care about Cops. That's a sucky. It's like a horrible TV show that like did a bunch of bad stuff to people, and then like it explains that it's a horrible TV show that did a bunch of bad stuff to people. So I was like, oh bet, this is very interesting. And and the thing that that was super interesting is that they, they are really doing an analysis of like the effects of cops and like what it did to the people who were involved with it and how mm-hmm. it might have it might have really affected modern policing in a really negative way. Um, so. Uh, that's our free advertisement for that podcast, Running Away from Cops, because like, I think people should probably listen to it. It's, it's interesting.
0: Okay, yeah. yeah, we'll have to check it out. You, can you summarize any like snippets around what are some of the core themes in terms of how the television show and doing the television documentary in that style mm-hmm. impacted? Policing? I mean,
1: it just came out. I want to listen to. I, I think just listen to the
0: like listen to okay. the intro episode and you'll. Know, plus like they they were
1: advertising on the barber on on the barber and reads which means they advertise on podcasts. so we're we're open to an advertisement from you guys but you know so I'm not, i don't want to give away their whole show and do all that and stuff
0: okay um, all right
1: yeah yeah so anyway all right moving forward
0: so can we get into what's going on
1: how do we do that
0: can you please play the jams
1: yes So go ahead. Y'all do that. Type.
0: What's going on? <laughs> hey, you know, know what's going on? <laughs> you just click that and use that for the rest of the time. <laughs> you got the <laughs> all right. All right. So to start out, what's going on? Something that was happening all week and in particular, the relevance to naming it was Around the description of the death of James Byrd, who uh, was a man who was targeted by white supremacists in Texas in 1998, and he was essentially lynched. However, all of the disc- the descriptions of what happened to him, and most recently this week one of the individuals who was involved with this death was executed in Texas. And so that's why it was sort of recycling in, in the news uh, media that way. Uh, but I was really, really troubled by the description of the event. And in so many ways, they use the term dragging. They used, you know, just sort of a general hate crime or something that was horrific. Um, but for me, you know, 1998, I'll never forget when I, when I learned about James Byrd. I'll never forget it. So it just didn't it didn't land well with me that the that the ways in which the media described it was like this very much of a downplay, like almost like it was it was too horrific to put into the actual subject line
1: that he was lynched,
0: that he was lynched.
1: Well, I mean, I don't know if it's too I I struggle because like it's it's just this ongoing kind of like rhetoric that that. Even when they're talking about a person who's been prosecuted and they're going to they're going to they're executing this guy who lynches this, this man. Um, they don't want to use terminology that explicitly points out racism. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, we, we've talked about this before, where like like the different news organizations like put out memos to, you know, their their they're talking heads and whatnot about not saying that this is racially motivated, not saying that this is racist. Like they always have a way to downgrade it. Mm-hmm. And so the downgrading of lynching is dragged behind a truck. Dragged behind a truck is freaking horrendous by itself, but like, Oh,
0: they, they didn't say have... behind a truck. They just said dragging.
1: Okay. So like, uh, but generally, I mean like the idea, the, the, the concept of someone being dragged, it, I mean, it's factually accurate when they say it, but like, because they take off the, the, the racial connotation and the the the, the racial violence of mm-hmm. that that goes with lynching um, they reduce they reduce mm-hmm. it you know they reduce the magnitude of the message and um, it allows for a continued uh, rhetorical like absence of of talking about white supremacy in the media
0: absolutely and it also creates I think this like the separation in memory. To, you know, if you think about what are the historical images of lynching and of white supremacy, they're all black and white images, right, Mm -hmm. from way back in the day, very, very old. So it creates this historical reference of like that happened many, 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 many decades Mm -hmm. and generations ago. Mm hmm.
1: Well, I mean, I mean, what they're not, it's funny because the ones that get put out in front of us a lot of times are black and white, but there's some color images, if you look in the right books, um, that show like the way that this is. Um, I mean, the idea that it's something from the past, mm-hmm. you know, um, is, is a, you know, it's an erroneous idea. I mean, black. It, Honestly, like every time you see an unarmed black person getting killed by police, that's a lynching because that's what lynchings were, too. Right. You know, lynchings weren't just like a mob of people coming after folks. It was like the the killing of black people because they're black people by white people. Right. That's a lynching. Um, and so when you see when you see about like there's a young there's a guy who um, had recently graduated from HBCU. um. And he, I just saw this on on the news. Uh, there's a brother. He he went to live. Uh, darn it, I want to say it correctly, but basically, this brother, like he 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 went out. He moved to a new neighborhood, um, and he was being stalked by his white neighbor who had made threats against him. Mm-hmm. He told the he went and tried to get a protection, an order of protection. The judge. First it was given to him, then the it was later vacated by a judge who said he didn't give enough evidence, and lo and behold, now he was shot and, shot and killed in his uh, stairwell when he was taken out the garbage by mm-hmm. the guy. Um, and so, I mean, that kind of thing is a lynching as well. You know, it's like, it's not just a murder. Like, right. when black people get... It's just one thing if we get killed because of, like, random crime or some something like that. Like, if someone's robbing a bank or if you get hit by a, a car or something that's... Not, but, like, when... It's the fact that someone specifically went out and they wanted to commit a hate crime against you right. because of who you are, and you die—that's lynching. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that we we really need to start using the rhetoric. Um, more openly, and we need to like push back when we when they don't use it because what it does is it makes it so that it's more it's invisible. You know, right. it's like it didn't happen.
0: Mhm, mhm. And then they become in isolation, mm-hmm. uh, as as whether or not it's isolated incidents or things that are not part of a whole, right? Mhm. And it is it is a more of a continuous experience right. of the targeting. Right.
1: all right Yeah. Yeah. I just want to make sure I say the brother's name Um, so it was uh, Tyreek Hudson Uh, he was killed by a white neighbor months after the court denied a request for a protective order Um, so if you want to find him uh, if you want to find out you can look on Blavity and they that's uh, they have a a, a nice article talking about what happened um, and what happened with this judge so um, but kind of going back I think there was a little bit more to what we were talking about in terms of...
0: Yeah, so with regards to James Byrd, and so in Texas, a number of people who are associated with his death uh, have been executed, and this was the final person uh, Mm -hmm. to be executed. And it brought up this uh, sort of this other issue around um, stances on the death penalty.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean... (sighs) I when I hear about people like because I I know Dylan Roof just got um the the man who who killed the the nine people in Charlottesville in, in Charlottesville in the church um, is it Charlottesville
0: no Charleston no, Charleston Charleston South Carolina
1: yeah mm-hmm. um like I think some people rejoice at that they they think yay this guy is getting you know the the ultimate penalty I I I have a problem with like I don't. I think that if you, you either believe in the death penalty or don't believe in it, you know what I'm saying? Like, And I think from a lot of us, like I, I, I use the same argument. Um, I don't believe in the death penalty for folks because of, well, for a lot of moral reasons. I, I don't think the state has a right to take the life of people. I don't think that it actually does anything. I think it's, it's not fiscally smart because it costs so much more money than to have someone in prison for life. Um, I don't think that you necessarily can be reformed when you do something as heinous as this. But I also don't think that necessarily the state should take up the cost to to end your life. I think Mm -hmm. that you should just stay in jail forever. Um, So I don't necessarily feel anything specific about this guy being killed. I think that, like, you know, he could have stayed in jail as long as he's away from other people who get hurt. That's what we need. You know, um, and the same goes for kind of Dylan Roof, and I know people feel a certain way. And I, you know, if I'm gonna be honest about it, if I go in my deep dark heart, you know, like there is probably like some satisfaction there, but the state shouldn't work off of that. You know, the state should should work off of, you know, what's best for society, not necessarily what feels good.
0: Thank you for sharing your thoughts.
1: You don't want to share yours?
0: I don't. I don't really have a strong opinion about it. Oh, okay. I haven't spent time reflecting on that issue. All
1: right. So. We'll so,
0: you know, we talked about a number of things and we're kind of swirling and iterating around stuff, but I want to come back to AB Assembly Bill 392. A couple weeks ago, we had a direct, wonderful interview with Assembly Member Dr. Shirley Weber, and most recently this week, there was a win for AB 392.
1: Yeah, so... um the the bill that was that was opposing it um that was going through that the police lobbyists kind of pushed forward um what was the bill's number
0: sb 230 do you want me to go ahead and read a little snippet from the sac b sure all right so the movement to reform the use of deadly force by police scored a major victory tuesday Senate Bill 230, which was designed by police groups to undermine meaningful reform, met a stunning defeat in committee. The State Senate Public Safety Committee uh, forced the bill's author to strip some key provisions from the bill, and as a result, SB 230 no longer directly threatens to undermine a stronger legislative effort regarding police use of force, yeah. AB 392, authored by Dr. Shelley Weber. Yeah.
1: So, like, I I think, like, the the key pieces that, if you haven't looked at this, um, the 2... 230? Yeah. So, the key pieces that they're not really talking about in the article is that um, what Bill 230 was looking to do was instead of holding officers accountable, mm-hmm. it wanted to basically say that folks, that officers needed more training. Mm-hmm. And so it wanted to give, honestly, what it was trying to do was give more money to departments for training and then say that they just needed to do more training, which mm-hmm. they've already been doing. Right. Spent, and it,
0: and I think it also reinforced this standard of like oh, um, a reasonable officer in those positions would have done the same thing, which is this, the current standard right now, which is this big old loophole for right. the continued targeting killings. Right.
1: Right. So, yeah, so like I mean like and this is what this is what happens when you have like a lobby come in. They didn't want to change anything and they wanted to get more money. And so the the way that the the specific way this committee kind of really killed that was to make it so that it had to be passed
0: Jointly, yes. Jointly, yeah. So the the not only in addition to the taking out some of those those provisions, um, but also the committee joined SB two thirty with AB three ninety two, which mm-hmm. means that the police sponsor bill can't pass unless Senator Weber's. And others, uh, AB 392 passes, mm-hmm. and so uh, what the author from the Sacbee wrote, the journalist wrote, was that in effect, it puts an end to the law enforcement lobby's effort to replace AB 392 with their weak window dressing bill.
1: Yeah. So um, that's a that's a big plus side for you know justice in the in the state of California. Um, I think like just to kind of remind folks, um, the idea here is that. The laws on this haven't changed since like the 1800s, you know, like the this idea that all someone has to do is not they they literally just if they if you don't do what the police says, they could shoot you. Is basically the way the law is written right now, which is why people can't find justice for anybody who's been killed in in, in in the state of California and generally around the country for these kind of police violence pieces. Because as far as the law goes, they actually didn't break the law. Mm-hmm. Right. So like when you think about like the 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 folks getting off for killing uh, Tisha Miller back in the day, like back in the 90s, when she was having a seizure in her car mm-hmm. um, or when you're talking about Stefan Clark or when you're talking about. Um, uh oscar grant you know what i'm saying like in all these cases um these guys they they get off because basically if they make an argument that the person wasn't doing what they're supposed to do or if they just made a mistake they just get what they need you know they get to do whatever they want this law changes that right. uh so good job We're happy uh and, you know it's uh it's, it's it's nice to see this moving forward let's hope that it continues uh, to kind of gain steam and power so that we can make it actually a state law.
0: Wonderful. So I wish we had some campaign music. Maybe we can find some. Dun, dun, dun,
1: dun. Well, well no, absolutely <laughs> not.
0: We are not that. It's are... the campaign 2020 updates.
1: Yeah, no, we're not doing that. That's, Why? That's horrible.
0: Come on, it's fun. No, it's
1: not. That makes it sound like CNN or Fox News. We're not them. <sighs> Uh <sighs> okay. take the fun out of everything. I don't think it's fun. Well anyway yeah, And I would be the one having to look for the damn music. <laughs> what are you
0: talking about? Uh, I can find it. Go on, <laughs> Befford, have a little faith. hmm So campaign twenty twenty updates. What's going on?
1: Um, lots of stuff. Uh so I mean we I don't know where, where should we start, because there's a lot of things that happened this last couple of weeks.
0: All right. So let's start with the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, Pete Buttigieg, who was recently on a CNN presidential town hall with Anderson Cooper. And he was directly called in and out about his handling and firing of the first black police chief of South Bend.
1: Yeah, I think he was called out. I don't know if he was called. That that sister was not calling him into nothing. Uh, Yeah. So he fired the first black police chief, who he actually was a person who appointed as well, um, because, well, the story is that it's because the police chief had been taping conversations between other police leadership um, who were using racist rhetoric in their in their conversations about him and possibly other officers. Yeah. Um, but
0: but- on, the, on the one hand, so from the perspective and from the perspective of the mayor and other folks who called for the firing, was that essentially those recordings violated, were in violation of a federal wiretapping law. From the perspective of the police chief, he said that those lines were... Well, constantly recorded, right? Mm-hmm. So those were those were telephone lines within their systems that were always recorded.
1: Mm-hmm. So I mean, like regardless of I I don't know because I don't want to get bogged down in the merits of one or the other. Mm-hmm. The thing that I think is is concerning is like what he said about not knowing what was on the tapes. Yeah, um, and I think that's BS. Like so, just because I mean we we plenty of things get recorded and people get to listen to them. He didn't he didn't do anything. Right. So he didn't he didn't actually cause the tape to happen. If he if he doesn't know what's on the tape, that means he didn't listen to the tape. So that means that how do we know the tape even exists? So why do he fire the guy? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So like this idea of I don't know what was on there when he was taping people being racist. And the only person in this who has any kind of negative outcome yeah. is a black guy. Man, whatever, dude. I'm I, I'm sorry. I hate. I I, I get so tired of because people are bringing this dude out like he's this darling. You know, he's uh-huh. just like, oh, he's so wonderful. Oh, he's so great. And look at how good he he talks about race and he talks about. Yeah, you know what? A lot of people talk good about race and then they screw us over in the end. Right. You know. And so. I don't got much for him. I'm still with Kamala. I was with Kamala from the beginning. I'm still with Kamala. And, you know, if it's not Kamala, I I got Corey, too. So why do—why—I don't need—I don't need this dude. I I don't need him. I don't need another dude like him. He's just another one of the dudes. You know what I'm saying? So I'm, I'm good.
0: So speaking of Kamala, since you went there,
1: so she From Indiana. Called, you know that Indiana—I'm sorry. Indiana Indiana's. is where the KKK started. Don't tell me this dude is supposed to—whatever. Go ahead, Indiana's
0: please. Indiana very problematic. So nonetheless, you mentioned Kamala, so let's, let's shift gears a little bit. So Kamala, in an article for USA Today, a little opinion piece, uh, was described as being uh, disqualified for for owning a gun. Yeah. who Who's the guy? His name is Peter Funt. Like I said, who's the guy?
1: <laughs> and who are you? Disqualified. Disqualified because his sister has a gun. I'm sorry. I didn't know that it was illegal for black people to have guns in America. Mm-hmm. It used to be, maybe. What
0: tell the truth? So one of the things that why and why we brought this in, you know, Bedford the last time a couple episodes ago, and and continuously, you know, you've sort of encouraged our listeners to really tune their ear into the ways that candidates are talked about dif- differently, right? Mm-hmm. So this term disqualifying came up, I think, particularly around the Kavanaugh hearings, and this idea, and and for Trump as well, right? This idea that nothing these white men could do would ever be disqualifying for them to be, um, you know, eligible to hold those different positions
1: well yeah i mean like i I don't know if we can i don't know if we can put them in the exact same spaces because i think that like you know this guy is obviously a liberal um i think that where we would really I, i think the problem with this is this idea that you know there's different standards for different people um from the moment Kamala came out similarly from the moment that like Barack Obama came out when he first came out like there's these these big statements about why they're not able to do stuff that don't have any founding like the like how many of the the candidates have like did, you're gonna tell me that like these other candidates Joe Biden uh his his family's a military family there's no guns in that house come on now like but like they focus on this black woman Mm-hmm. And
0: I don't know. Uh, I don't know, but I, I, I kind of want to come back to it because I think the choice of words is really interesting, right? Like, I can't ignore that, that the public, to the public, this memory of the term disqualifying is not levied in the same way. And so it was used in this way to sort of be like, oh, like, you know, nothing that these folks do um, is disqualifying, right? And so what would it mean for a candidate to be disqualified or ineligible and for and, – and basically – they, they, the, a lot of the consensus has been that essentially, you know, the word isn't really appropriate in, in a lot of contexts. So for for this person to levy that word in the way against a black female candidate, to me, is quite interesting. He didn't say, you know what, she you know, she she's not my choice or something like that. He's a very intentional sort of like politically charged and, and relevant rhetoric at the times.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think that it's problematic that he said that she's disqualified. That's disqualifying. I don't know that that word is something that I have a problem with writ large. I think that there are people like I I think Trump should have been disqualified. I think Kavanaugh was disqualified. Like their behavior was disqualifying. I think that he's misusing it when he's talking about Kamala Harris and he's and and it's like this hyperbolistic like like ridiculous statement that like this this person once First, she was part of law enforcement, Um, and people in law enforcement carry guns generally. You know, Mm -hmm. she was a—she's a prosecutor. She's a—I mean, I I really don't—the idea that a a woman who's black in the United States to somehow not be allowed to have a weapon, a firearm, is crazy to me. I'm sorry. It's just like it's—you— I don't, I'm not saying that I advocate firearms or think that it's like the best thing for anybody, but I think that like, this is a dangerous world. This is a dangerous place. It's super dangerous for black women. And you're saying that because she had a gun? You know, like, come on. Mm-hmm. Um, like, go fix patriarchy. Go fix misogyny. Go fix racism. And then go talk about this black woman's gun. You know what I'm saying? Like, go do that first. Mm-hmm. Spend some time. Spend some words on that. How about that? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So um, another big thing that happened recently was she the presidential forum. Did you get a chance to watch any of that? And it's a it's a space, sort of a conference style space where the candidates get to come on stage and get to share their perspectives openly with audiences interviewed by different folks. What do you think?
1: Yeah. The whole point was that like it was done in like uh, I forget exactly where it was done, but it was done in 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 the Southwest. Um, And the whole point was that the um, for the Democratic Party, their most important voter block has been women of color and specifically black women mm-hmm. and specifically from that area. And so they wanted the candidates to speak to the needs and the, the issues of women of color and black women. Um, and so they came and, and people talked. From what I understand, uh, uh, Cory Booker did really well there um, and like got out some really good stuff. Uh, I think uh, another person, Elizabeth Warren, like people really appreciated the things that she was talking about. Um, I think Kamala Harris, too. Bernie Sanders didn't do well. There was a lot of boos and jeers and stuff like that. And it, and, and deservedly, because mm-hmm. like they asked about white supremacy and he starts talking about econ- economics, you mm-hmm. know, and it's like, you know, he was not, he really was like not answering the questions. Um and I know people are like, what you got? Well, I'm sorry. If I see it, I see it like he's doing that. Um, it was an interesting piece. I think people should watch it because you can get a lot of information about where the candidates stand. And you can get a lot of it from because these questions are specific questions that don't come out in other forums, you mm-hmm. know. So, like, it's on YouTube. We'll, 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 we'll put that uh, link up for you all. But you can watch the entire deal. And I, I think you get a lot of good information. Um I think a lot of people were really feeling Warren, um, and I think she does make a lot of sense in a lot of things she says. I personally don't think uh, she's not. I could I could do a a, a, a Harris Warren kind um, of kind of stuff, but not Warren Harris. Like I think Harris wins. Like I think Warren has. Oh, I'm sorry. I I think that like you don't it, have
0: to apologize. This you know, is your opinion. This yeah, is, it is these what it these is. views are endorsed by Bedford Palmer.
1: I mean, you can't say my endorsement. <laughs> I'm
0: just
1: endorsed by you too. You here? What are your views?
0: I, you know, I need to go back and watch it. I think that 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 I need to do some of my homework too, okay. to really get a feel for what are the what are the issues that are most important to me as an individual, um, for what I think uh, would be helpful for our country moving forward, and who is going to be the best person to be able to make that happen and yeah. also represent. Okay, because the repre- the representing part on um, on the world stage is also deeply important.
1: Well, yeah, I mean I, that's another reason why Kamala should get in. Yeah, I would, uh,
0: I would, I would, I would, I would agree with that, yeah, right? Because I mean, it's not just about what are their pers- per, uh, opinions and perspectives. There's a whole another level of of politicking on a global stage Mm -hmm. that is that is I think uniquely different from people being effective in DC and in other spaces.
1: Yeah. I mean I think we need someone who's going to take care of like the stuff at home, but also there's a lot of stuff that we got to fix outside. You know, like we need someone who can stand up to people that have been that our current president has been like bowing to. Mm -hmm. Um and not to say that I don't think I I think Warren can do that too. But uh, honestly when it comes down to it, what I'm looking at is like a lot of people who are saying very similar things. Um, and since they're all, if, if all is equal, I'm going to go with the black woman on this because why, why should not excuse, excuse me, the, the black South Asian woman on this uh, because that's, I think that we can go there next for president. And I think that that matters. I think that that who's in the office matters and that what that opens up for people mm-hmm. in terms of choices, you know, and in terms of opportunity, in terms of like who they're gonna be. Yeah. Like, I, I think little brown girls need to have, they need to have the, 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 the thought that they can get into that space. And to be absolutely honest, if a brown girl gets in, if a brown woman gets into that space, then little white girls can benefit from that too. Whereas if it's a white woman, I don't know that little brown girls get the same kind of play.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. that's a, That's a great point. So our last piece for Campaign 2020 updates uh, is the announcement, the official announcement came from Joe Biden that he is running.
1: Yeah, good for him. I'm sorry. <laughs> I used to like, I like, I you know, I, I didn't do a lot of deep research into Joe Biden, like when he was like the vice president. Um, so I got into the whole Uncle Joe thing and I like him and he's he's a a a likable person, likable dude. But then you start when all this stuff starts coming out. I was like, oh, you tricked me. I
0: don't what? Like He, he has been in politics for a very long time and has, you know, a lot of things in his political history that he needs to, uh, you know, own up to and take some responsibility for. Unfortunately, one of those biggest things was him presiding over the hearings uh, for the confirmation of Clarence Thomas and the uh, Anita Hill hearing and really the ways in which he directly mishandled and allowed for her to be treated so disrespectfully in that space.
1: And I think people might be misunderstanding because I think here's the thing about Joe Biden that I think um, makes it not more complicated but just there's there's nuance to it i think that joe biden came from a space where he had to learn a lot and grow a lot around race and working under barack obama i think he did grow a lot around race here's the thing the anita hill issue isn't a, it's not a race issue it's a gender issue right even though she's a black woman
0: well it's intersectional this, well, it's is, intersectional. this, this is but this is the true definition of intersectionality right
1: Right but uh, let me let me finish my thought. Like I'm not saying that it, that race has no part in it. What I'm saying is is that what he's the way he interacted with her was like the it was the epitome of like a misogynistic piece. Like it was it was more cuz you got Clarence Thomas who, you know, is arguably whatever, but this is a black dude. So like inter within the within the black community there was like the, the, the breakdown wasn't racial. it was around gender. It was about misogyny in the black community as well as in the white community. I just so.
0: I'm shaking my head and I disagree. In, in the sense that if Anita Hill was a white woman at that hearing, they would not have treated her as disrespectfully. The questions that they would have asked, even if they said, even if they said, I don't believe you, but we're going to go through this thing and we're going to bring you up here and you're going to you know, say some things about this person, they would not have dragged her. They would not have have spoken to her so horrendously. They would not have treated her that way if she was a white woman.
1: I agree with that. I guess what I'm saying is, is that I think that Biden has built cachet with black people but he has not built the same cachet like the things that are coming up right now around him is around how he touches women around how he interacts with women and around how he treated a woman on the stand and so I'm not saying that like he like 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 what I was saying in the beginning is he had problems with black folks but he's been working on the black people problems he has not worked on his problems with women
0: I think yeah that's fair I hear you on that Um, But I think there's just something very unique. And so if we like kind of, you know, one thing I'll I'll add to the to the description is the um, the urgency of intersectionality by Kimberly Crenshaw that really describes, you know, intersectionality is not just that we hold multiple identities, is that when those marginalized identities come together, they form an experience that is that it compounds and sort of exacerbates this experience of oppression in a unique way. Right. So it's not just that she was a woman and it's not just that she's she was black. But in that moment, those two marginalized marginalized identities created a unique experience that she endured.
1: Right. I think the thing is, is that from like the idea if we're talking about Joe Biden as a as a person who needs to grow, like when you teach multicultural competence, like you break the stuff down, like he has to work on different things in order to to get to that that intersecting space. Right. Like he has to understand race and he has to understand gender and you, you don't necessarily mix them when you're teaching it, when you're trying to understand it, you're 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 you need to understand both so that you can bring it back. Right. And so like, I, you know, I, I, I think that like, even with what, what, uh, you know, Dr. Anita Hill said, um, that the problem was that he didn't like when he, he tried to apologize, but then what he did is is like he did this kind of fake apology and he does not talk at all about the fact that there are other women who there who should have been able to testify who he blocked Mm -hmm. so like she's talking about kind of the structural pieces around like the fact that he he like imposes misogynistic space and didn't he silenced these other women Mm -hmm. you know and so like i don't know that we're i i think like we're focusing on different pieces of it
0: yeah i i think i think we are too Absolutely. I, I think under, underneath it all, it is, it is very anti-black, um, but I, I just can't separate, you know, the level of misogyny from the unique experiences of her being a black woman. And it, sets, and it, and it perpetuates this tone, right? Mm-hmm. That other black women experience.
1: Yeah. Yeah, of course.
0: Yeah. Wonderful. So are we ready for some real talk? Sure. Let's do that. Okay. So it's time for Real Talk. Real Talk. All right. So we are going to talk about Senate Bill 188, the Crown Act.
1: California State Senate Bill. Thank you. Yeah.
0: So California State Senator Holly Mitchell who represents the 30th Senate district that includes portions of Los Angeles, uh, introduced the Crown Act, and it has passed in the Senate floor 37 to zero, and is now awaiting approval from the assembly. And essentially SB 188 aims to create a respectful and open workplace for natural hair. By clarifying that traits historically associated with race, such as hair texture and hairstyle, be protected from discrimination in the workplace and in our K-12 through public and charter schools. That is a quote directly taken from her website. We're going to break that down.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's kind of funny because this came under the radar in a lot of ways. Like, mm-hmm. she just kind of slipped this in and it worked. Um But I think this is one of those, this is one of those pieces of legislation that can actually substantively change, like deeply change the experience of people. Um, Because, I mean, how many folks are, I mean, just think about like how many times you see in the news, some black person being harassed about their hair, you know, like, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's about, you know, whether it's plated or whether it's like, you know, braided or whether it's in, you know, locks or whatever, like uh, whether it's cut cut down to a, a ball fade or whether it's in a fro, like there's so much white people caring about our hair out there that it just you know, it's like, what the hell? Mm-hmm.
0: You know? And the ways it so professionally oftentimes it's like incorporated into this like bubble of like what is what is quote unquote professional mm-hmm. and uh, wearing certain hairstyles uh, has largely been viewed uh, down upon mm-hmm. uh, not only by I would say, not only by white folks in professional spaces, but also people that endorse those white supremacist values and characteristics.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I think it's...
0: So this is when you get, you know, people like, right, talking about you need to cut your hair and do all these other things, right? There are plenty of black people that adhere to this, like, standard of, like, oh, you you should... Well,
1: respectability politics.
0: Exactly. Yeah, I mean... Exactly.
1: Yeah, I mean, but like the thing is is just this whole idea of what's respectable and what's not. Mm-hmm. I mean um I mean we've talked about this on on naming it before. We had a whole piece on natural hair and we did like a, a, a episode with uh black dolls. Remember that? Mm-hmm. And um we I mean I, I think uh the, the the piece is is that there's this whole thing about whiteness policing the bodies of black people mm-hmm. and telling us how we must conform to to their styles and their ideas of what's what's right and what's okay and, and how we must hurt ourselves to do that in a lot of cases, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, just like the fact, like when we talk about, um, you know, facial hair and, and body hair in general, Right. So, like, not just facial hair for men, but body hair, facial hair for anybody who grows it. Uh, but body hair in general, if you have curly hair, um, then cutting the hair on your body that's not on your head can lead to ingrown hairs at a higher frequency than if you have straight hair. That causes keloids, that causes scarring, that causes discomfort and all this other stuff. And we do it to in order to, like, meet this white standard that doesn't make sense.
0: Mhm. Mhm. Absolutely. So you know, one of the things and from, a, from a win and from a positive perspective, we, we talked about how it shows up oftentimes in the workplace. But we have children who are subjected to horrific treatment in their schools mm-hmm. um, and that are traumatized uh, by adults, well, um, whether it's by policy administration, administrators, school administrators or people that are trying to enforce these practices upon them. Well, it's
1: not just like, I mean, cause there's the policy stuff, but I mean, honestly, we're talking about child abuse because they, even when you have policy, like, I I mean, there was a a, a kid, little girl who got her, 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 her lock pulled out, mm. you know, by a teacher. Like, when have you heard of a white kid getting their hair pulled out by a teacher, regardless of how it was, what, what, no, I, I just couldn't imagine hearing like a, a white kid dyed their hair green until the teacher pulled it out. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's uh, this little boy who recently uh, in Texas, he had um, an M, like, designed into his hair, right? Which, obviously, I'm I'm sorry, if you're a little kid, you don't get to choose that. Your parents help you. Like, I want an M in my hair. Okay, get the M in your hair, right? Then he goes to school, and a principal actually used a Sharpie, like a, a permanent marker, to mark in this kid's hair. Or actually, he forced the kid to do it. So he tells this kid like either I'm going to tell your parents I'm going to give you a consequence or you can mark your hair up. What kind of sick person mm-hmm. You know like what what kind of reasonable adult would think that you're going to tell a kid to permanent to put a permanent marker on their scalp. Right? Like Outside of their parents, like supervision, like what kind of sick person does that? I mean, he got suspended, but I, I just I, I feel like folks need to understand, like how deep this goes, like yeah. how much how, how entitled like whiteness has, uh, like how entitled white people are about like touching our hair, understanding our hair, making us conform to their shit. I'm just it's just but
0: it's, but what, and what I'm trying to add to that is that it's not just white people. This, it's when we adopt it. when we adopt the, the 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 values of the oppressor, mm-hmm. and, and it, it goes a little bit beyond respectability politics because we incorporate them into policies, and we and we run around in our sort of whether it's adults or people in positions of power, uh, levying and enforcing these rules upon people who who look similar to us, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that, like,
1: uh, you know, it gets more complicated. And, you know, we got into that, I think, a lot with uh, with the natural hair piece. Mm-hmm. Um, when we start talking about kind of internalized stuff and, like, who gets to wear their hair how and, like, what's right and what's wrong. And like, I think when it comes down to it, like, there's no right or wrong of how you want to look or how you want to be. But other people outside of you don't get to talk about it. You know, like... If I cut my if I cut my hair a certain way, I cut my hair a certain way. It does not change the way. Like, if I if I'm a computer programmer, like whether my hair is in locks or whether my hair is cut off or whether my hair is like pressed, mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with whether I can write code or not. Mm-hmm. So why are you up in my business? Right. Right. And then like, you know what's a, what what's okay is it, it, it's unevenly policed. Like, I see plenty of. I, I, I will. I'm, I'm willing to bet that the same style, the same braiding style that you'll see getting policed in black people, if a white person puts in their hair, it's fine in most cases. Right. So you see a, a white woman with plates on her hair. It's fine. It's going into a braid. It looks neat. Black woman does it. No, it's not pressed you
0: know. Or it just yeah. looks urban and, and that's a proxy for it looks ghetto. Right. All,
1: right. all of cool. these
0: terms. No, it is. No, it's that's like what urban. They th-
1: I mean, urban and ghetto are both a proxy for black. Yeah.
0: Yes. So yeah. all of the words that go together, yeah. yeah. But yeah. but it's also a proxy for social class, too. So it loops all the way back around, true, right? True, so true. it's not just that it's a black woman, but when she when she chooses to braid her hair in a certain way or um, get sister locks or whatever the case may be, now all of a sudden she's she has released her proximity to whiteness, connected back to perhaps these cultural stereotypes from from the observer, from the viewer, and is now lowered her status in the workplace. Mm-hmm. That is true.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, well, there's all kinds of stories about um, women being like losing their jobs. I mean, but like, I mean, I think that the thing that that really kind of comes in here is this idea of like us finally getting legislation that protects us in like real specific ways right Mm -hmm. um so like there there's all this like this idea of you know civil rights and there's this ideal of, of of like protecting peoples uh based on protected groups and stuff but Sometimes it's just that it doesn't have enough in it. And I mean, even this is like a this is a amending our our current law that was already there about discriminating against people based on race and gender and all that stuff. But like you had to put this specific stuff in. Otherwise, people will try to squirm around it, you know, right. and I think that that's what we find in our society is that even when we put this legislation, people are so kind of messed up in their head. They're always trying to, to find a way to to, you know, for lack of another word, hurt black people.
0: Right. You know? And it's it's connected to sort of the ways in which racism and bias operates in our yeah. systems. Yeah. And I think imagining, particularly in the examples given both in, in school settings and also in workplace settings, that is where human beings spend the majority of their time. Right. Right. So it's it's it would be different, you know, in in a sense of like if this if this was an issue I don't know. I'm just I guess I'm trying to say like it is so it is so impactful mm-hmm. because we grow up and spend so much time in both school and in workplace settings. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, I mean, there was another piece to it that we were talking about before. So. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So so racism. Very, very real. The implications. Very, very real. One of the things that that came out for me as I read this was about the tying of and how it's written and, and maybe it's written one place, but also described based on the, um, the website that the quote, and I'll read it again, clarifying that traits historically associated with race such mm-hmm. as hair texture and hairstyle be protected from discrimination. So as I read it again, I'm a little, I'm a little less activated by it, but in essence, I, my, my concern and worry was we know that race is a social construct. That all of the 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 fake science and the pseudoscience that was done around race to create separations for people, largely based on either geographic locations or appearances, whether those are phenotypic expressions of skin color, hair texture, shapes of features on your face, right? That those things have been utilized to cr- to create and separate folks from each other, but all that is not not true and accurate from a scientific perspective. Mm-hmm. So, I guess my my initial sort of question was. If if this is written in such a way that traits historically associated with race, if that is the best way to put it, because from a legal perspective and from a legislative perspective, it will continue p- to perpetuate sort of the tyings and the reinforcement of race in our systems and our policy.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, like, I was, so I think that you have to do it this way um, because it, it, it races a social reality. You know, it shouldn't be a social reality, but it is. And the way that we are oppressed is specifically based on race. Right. It's not based on culture. It's not based on ethnicity. Like the the way that they come after us is based on racial lines because mm-hmm. that's how it's understood. Um, I think that the legislature, it's their job to protect us around this stuff. And so they have to approach the social reality of it. However, I think that it is the space of the academic, it's the space of the social worker, it's the space of the mental health worker, it's the space of the media Mm -hmm. to start to change the zeitgeist, to change the the paradigm around this, right? Right. Because, um, you know, and I think that when when we do that, then the laws will have to shift accordingly. But until then, I mean, I think that, yeah, people are targeting, people look at black people's hair and they think other and then they try to harm us by making us change it to be less other. And the fact is, is that we're just, we're just who we are. We all are just who we are. And people need to kind of get over some of these other like really nasty things. Um, the issue around what is okay in terms of um, appearance is a cultural piece around European society or whatever, mm-hmm. but they change their culture to be racist and that's what it is. You know what I'm saying? Like there, the, there were these lines that were drawn up and they said, this is white, this is the white ideal, and this is everything that's not the white ideal, right? And right. then they started to build their culture around that. So the culture shift has to happen for them and the first place in, in the U.S. and I think in people that culture shifts have to happen is having a basic bottom, like law, a guideline. Because mm-hmm. that's what law is like. I talk to my ethics students about this all the time. Law is like the minimum, it's a base minimum. Yeah. Right. So we expect you not to do this thing. Hopefully, you'll grow to do better.
0: Right. I guess I think what's standing out for me, and and I appreciate the things that you said about where do we where do we create culture shift around our better understanding and better dialogue about what race is and what it isn't, um, does happen have to happen in some other spaces. Um, I just think it's challenging when when things like this are put out and it's tied to those words that then perpetuates that assumption. Even though this says historically associated with characteristics of race, right? So to to me, I hear that in a very specific way. Like the language is not to say that this is a, that whether it's certain types of hair textures and or hairstyles are characteristics of race. That's not what it's saying. But my worry is that people will continue to hear and make those links and um, reinforce those stereotypes.
1: I think we, I think you just have to we all have to have the ability to kind of look at things from like a, a two-minded space. Like we, I, I, it's, it's kind of like looking at a puppet show. Like if I'm looking at a puppet show, I can see that the puppets are there. I see that they're trying to do certain things, but I also know that I'm suspending disbelief and they're not really real. You know, and so really what's happening is that there are humans behind the puppets doing things. And that's that's the the skill set, blah, blah, blah. Race is not a real construct. I can see that and at the same time understand the real ramifications of race as a construct, you know, and so. I don't know that we can't take it out of our language at this point, because I think actually taking it out of the language disempowers us and it makes it so that we can't really address the real problem.
0: Mm -hmm, Because it's been so ingrained and rooted over the last numbers of centuries. So, So overall, I think that, yeah, SB 188, awesome win. Congrats to Senator Mitchell on your hard work. Um, representing sisters with sister locks mm-hmm. and making sure that the crown act uh, was able to, to move through and also a big one for California to know that this bipartisan bill 37 is zero. Mm-hmm. And I think that it, that kind of understanding says something.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm with it. So let's see if it can get signed in. Mm-hmm. You know, we still need uh we, we need Gavin Newsom now to, to sign, sign that bill. So go ahead. Uh, Gov. Gov. Go ahead and sign that button. So I think that is that that it for us today?
0: I think that's it for us. All right.
1: So, uh, wow. All right. We had a a nice little conversation.
0: We sure did. So as we close out, we just want to remind our listeners for details about the topics mentioned in this episode of Naming It, check out our website, namingitpodcast.com. Go ahead and scroll all the way down to the bottom and subscribe to our newsletter. And that's where we will put out all of the articles and things that we reference in the episode. And you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Naming It Podcast.
1: Yeah. Um, And uh, on Instagram, too. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, at Naming It Podcast. You know what? Our Instagram, we are... We just broke 500 in terms of followers, uh, which I think is hella slow because there's so many more y'all out there. We got thousands and thousands of people who listened. So I'm, I'm just going to throw it out there. Like, can y'all like, you know, give us, show us some Instagram love, like get on the Instagram, like just like some of the stuff and, and, and follow us so that we can, because I'm, a, I, let me just keep it a hundred right now. I tried to get, I tried to, to to go ahead and get the little check mark behind the the, the Oh, the how name. do you do that? Well, there's a whole thing to it, but they would and give it to us because we ain't big enough so let's show them that we're bigger right so that we can like make more of a social impact and we can like get them algorithms working in our favor so if y'all um haven't already please go ahead and follow us on instagram uh, and in all those other spaces like we were saying um so also, just to like throw out there, don't forget, we also have our Patreon account. If you uh, uh, really want to like help and support naming it and uh, you like to get episodes uh, without any uh, commercials in them and maybe even get them early, um, then and you get some extras like little video things that we do and stuff like that, then, you know, go ahead and find us on Patreon and uh, and, uh, you know, we 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 love to get the the kind of do, the kind of kind of money that folds, but we'll take the kind of jingles, too. Bedford. <laughs> That's a, it's a reference to Come to America, you know? Oh, that, is like, it? Be about the culture? Yes, yes. Oh, okay. But she didn't have that TV. I remember. <laughs> uh.
0: Right. So where can you listen to Naming It on all different applications where podcasts are found?
1: Uh, everywhere, but like the best places on Anchor. Um, so, like, if you go to Anchor, you can give us feedback, you can leave us messages, um, you can do all kinds of cool stuff, and you can actually skip segments. So you can, like, just swipe to the right, and it'll take you to our next segment um, because Anchor just has that technology. Um, but so you, you know, can
0: download the Anchor app
1: yeah, in yeah.
0: whatever, if you are an Android user yeah. or if you are a Uh, iPhone user? Don't act like you don't know
1: what an iPhone is. Anyway, (laughs) so also Apple iTunes. It would be great if you could leave us um, a five-star review. Uh, It it, it does actually matter. It does help. Um, You know, the more... The more buzz we have, the more we can kind of get out there, the, the easier it is for us to kind of to do this work. Um, and we want to do this work, and we want to, like, be out here serving. Wonderful.
0: So so where can we find you on social media?
1: Uh, find me at DRBF
0: Palmer. You can um, find me at Lamisha Hill. And we always want to give a very special shout-out to Music on Naming It, provided by Lee England Jr., the soul so violin. violinist. Look him up at Lee England Jr., social media
1: yeah there you go all right so is that
0: it that is it for the day keep naming it y'all peace